Good morning, y'all. It's so good to be here with y'all. I, I didn't know how this was going to go this week. I, I couldn't even get here last week. 7 a.m., I was trying to get up Battery Lane, and there were three cars in the ditch already and uh, kind of had pulled over and couldn't get up the hill, and I just decided to, to bail um, and not even try it in the, in the 98 Isuzu Rodeo with the bald tires. So didn't, didn't think it was going to make it up the hill. What a week, huh? What a week. I tell you, I, before I go on, I just, personal testimony here, since I have the mic. Um, that song, man, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold, anything the world affords today. is perfect for the text that we're going to be in. But as I sat there and sang it, I was transported back to a time where I was at Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and we were doing a good old-fashioned hymn sing, and um, some of our, our best cross plane singers were singing some of their favorite songs, and that one was always chosen. And uh, I, I know that Peggy, my, great, my grandmother, is watching because I saw her name on Facebook, and it made me smell her corn casserole. That would have been down in the fellowship hall waiting on us to finish the hymn sing. And I smelled it, and it was a good memory. And we're going to have a potluck again, y'all, someday. We're going to be able to do that again. Looking forward to, to that for sure. So we, we had a good week at our house. And I, I know I've, I've, I've thought long and hard about how much to publicize that because um, it wasn't a good week for some. Some around here, they couldn't get to work. Uh, we, I cannot get the rodeo I mentioned out of the driveway still. It is stuck in the ruts that it's in and so in the ice. And so it's been a hard week. But for our family, it was a lot of sledding. And that culminated yesterday into a, just a sledding extravaganza where it didn't occur to Leslie Ann or I that the sun was shining for the first time in nine days. And so we have little lobsters for children this morning with um, the reddest of faces. So, sorry guys. I promise under those masks there are, there are red faces. But we, we had some fun. I hope y'all were able to do that as well. It was, we, we don't get perfect sledding uh, conditions here very often. And we, we did this week. We are in Luke 12 this morning. And I do hope that um, this finds you well. That you are glad to be here, those of you in the room. I'm thrilled to see so many of you in the room. I'm sure many of us were itching to go somewhere. Those of you who weren't able or are still choosing to be at home, we welcome you as well. And so glad that we have this medium to be able to meet together um, online as well. Chapter 12, the parable is denoted the parable of the rich fool. That's tough. We begin in verse 13. Join with me. As I read, someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And friend, Jesus, he said to him, who appointed me, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Well, I'll do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. 
and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. So here we have uh, a parable that I I believe is pretty straightforward for us, uh, which parables are not always as straightforward. The the lesson, I would say the lesson here is, if you missed it, it's anxiety, it's, it's fear, that, that brings on greed and then results in the, this, this desire to accumulate things as a means of securing one's future. I, I suppose that is understandable to you. It may sound familiar. It does, does to me. I struggle with this. At the beginning of the passage, Jesus is asked a question. It's this, this parable is set up by the occurrence, what's happening around Jesus, as they often are. He's asked a question by a, a younger brother, obviously, and, and I think it's, it's likely that Jesus was in this position of being asked this question because his reputation is preceding him at this point. He's stirring up a lot of excitement, a lot of interest everywhere that he's going. People are amazed by his teaching, amazed by what he's doing, so they've been listening to him for a while now, several chapters, and it's very likely that this younger brother saw in Jesus and his ministry Someone who would be a good person to help him in his situation, someone who's trustworthy, someone who understood fairness, someone who had a resolve about him that led, that, that led the younger brother to imagine Jesus could settle his particular family dispute. Okay. Now, this is one of the parables you may remember, I hope you do, that we looked at last year uh, when we went through uh, several parables in a row, and I found this story last year, and I I told it then, although we weren't meeting at the time, and I know at least one of you will remember, because I heard from one of you after I told it, it, you you appreciated it, and I love, I love it when you resonate with something I say, you let me know every time. Um, But I also love hearing from you all, and, and how God is shaping you in our groups as you're being formed, as you're following Jesus in those ways that you see God moving, much like the Gospel Converse, a beautiful story that we just heard. I love hearing from y'all. And I heard from one of you after I told this story, but the story is uh, it's a, an attempt at a joke, but it does fit with the, uh, with the story. So there were two brothers. And what's interesting, and they were the sons of a bank manager. And what's interesting about these two sons, next week we'll be looking at the parable of the prodigal son that you may know, very familiar Parable, And in that story, the older brother is the straight arrow and the younger brother is the more reckless uh, one who takes inheritance and goes away. Well, in this family, it was the inverse. It was the older brother who was more reckless and, and, and more all over the place. And it was the younger brother who was a straight arrow. And, and what happened is their father was older and passed away. And so the younger brothers were helping to, to settle the estate and to prepare the, the funeral arrangements. And they had a thought, well... The older brother had a, a cunning thought, and uh, he said, you know what would really be good is if this would really honor our father better than I think anything I could think of us doing is we would just go get, a, you know, $1,000 out of uh, the family estate, and we would tuck it into his hand, 
in the casket because, you know, money was a big part of his life. It was, he, you know, ran the bank and did it well. And so this would honor him very well. And the younger brother thought this was a great idea. And so he agreed. The older brother went to the bank, got 10 crisp $100 bills, came back to the casket, tucked it in his father's hand. And then later that night when nobody was around, he snuck back in and took the money out of his hand and replaced it with a check for $2,000. Terrible. The point of the story is if you had a brother like that in the first century, you would too be looking for Jesus to help settle the dispute that you were likely a part of. The point that Jesus is making to the crowd about us watching out for all kinds of greed, it lets us in on why Jesus refuses to arbitrate in this story. Because truth be told, greed is at work here in the younger sibling as well. The dangerous love of money, it is just as much at work in those, or can be just as much at work in those who have very little of it as those who have a lot. What we have here is an opportunity for us to let Jesus lead us to seeing that where our treasure is, that is where our heart is also. That while moths and rust destroy all that we can accumulate here on earth, we are to trust God, not that which we can store up for ourselves. Leslie Ann has some cousins in Alabama. Leslie Ann has a lot of cousins in Alabama, but particular cousins I'm thinking of is is the finest family. Six children, all grown now, um, married, grandchildren, just a really cool family. We love them very much. But when they were younger, when the kids were all still at home, um, their father didn't turn the grill off one night. And there was a mishap, and it was on the deck, and it started a fire, and they lost everything. I mean, the whole house burned down. I can't imagine. We can lose everything quickly, right? Anything can happen. We can even lose our lives in an instant. And that is Jesus' point here. These parables of Jesus, again, we're, we're seeing that they, they hit us right where we live, where we hurt, where we experience need. And it is very likely that we all, to some extent, maybe a large extent, need to recognize our propensity to fall into greed this morning. I've told you this story often, but it, it resonates with me. I, I, I think of Tim Keller a lot as I prepare these sermons. His, his sermons have shaped me greatly out of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, and I, I have uh, been influenced by him greatly, as I said. And he, I, I think of him this morning because he's got cancer for the second time but has received really good news, and I think that's really exciting because... I think there's more for God to, to do through, through Dr. Keller. Um, but he seems to be doing well. And he, several years ago, he was doing a, a, a luncheon series on the seven deadly sins. And his wife, Kathy, said, when you do the week on greed, people aren't going to come. And he's like, what are you talking about? He didn't understand. And she said, no, they're not going to come because we don't believe that really is, a, is, is one of our problems. The average person. And sure enough, there were significantly fewer people that attended the week he was teaching on greed than the other six weeks. Isn't that interesting? Tim thought it was very interesting. Now, I say that because I think it's appropriate with the text. And you, and you try to read the text and understand what Jesus is teaching and then help 
myself and each other apply it to our lives. And I do believe it's very important for us to recognize greed in our own lives and the way that it can, can wedge its way in there. But I also want to say that I've been here two years now, and you're an incredibly generous church. So I want to, to be careful in how this comes, a, this comes across. Because while it's true that we all need to be reminded of this, me included, I also have experienced firsthand how loving and generous you are. Praise God for that. But to the extent that we do struggle in this way, it is very likely that it is fear and anxiety that takes us to that point. The fear and anxiety that, that we are all experiencing right now due to the, just the situation our world finds itself in. Speaking of anxiety, it was a couple weeks ago that our family, I've told you this, we, we were without plumbing for 11 days. And I think about that this morning because as I went back and looked at how I approached this story, this parable last year, I was reminded that the week that we, we, we looked at this story was the very week that we were out of our house because our air conditioner was on the uh, fritz for that week. And we moved in with Leslie's parents uh, during that week. You know, they were so gracious to let us move in. This time when our plumbing went out, we too lived in Leslie's parents' house, but they went out of town. I don't know what that says about the experience last year. I haven't asked them, but I think it kind of speaks <laughs> for itself. We are a lot to take in. But everyone's margin's a bit smaller right now, right? Our economy is, is, is struggling in many ways because of the pandemic. We've seen jobs lost within our fellowship here. Jobs shift, jobs change. Five-year plans look vastly different. Our staff has moved our church budget to a 90% plan of what we anticipated for 2020, and we're still praying through how we are approaching that for 2021. So I do not stand here before you today with this parable before us all and, and take it lightly by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus's words can be disturbing here in a world as tumultuous as ours. 403Bs, 401Ks are wise, right? Of course they are. Keep in mind, money is not evil. The love of money can be. Well, it's the root of all evil, according to 1 Timothy 610, but money itself is such a useful tool. Money itself can turn that which is ugly and make it beautiful. I mean, I, I, first example that came to mind this week as I thought about this was our food pantry. And I thought back to whenever it was, Susan, that you and I sat down with Michael Volbada and we had the first conversations about what that could look like here just because Second Harvest had asked us to consider what that would look like. And, you know, we didn't know. But fortunately, we had the foresight to ask for a certain amount of money and set it aside and plan to be ready. And then the need for it arose so much quicker than we ever could have imagined or thought possible. And the money was there, ready to be used. And we still are using it and using it very well, I believe. I mean, that money, Susan's team could not have acted in the ways they've been able to act so quickly without the foresight there. It was great. Or how about, how about the beauty of crowdsourcing? I think this is just 
awesome when a community or a church can rally around a cause. I, a couple of examples. One, I just noticed that Five Points Pizza over in East Nashville, a uh, really yummy pizza place. Um, I'm um, partial to DeSano's in our neighborhood here. Uh, Five Points is very good as well. And so a lot of th- everything's shut down. I don't know if you noticed. Our city was closed for the first few days this week, and Five Points had all this dough. And because they didn't want it to go to waste, 13 of their employees said, we're going to figure out a way to get into work, and we're going to bake the dough into, like, big, you know, rolls, and we're going to give it to the homeless population. We're not going to let it go to waste. Such a cool story. And that happened this week. And then, because of that, Venmo decided to, uh, tag, uh, you know, hop onto that and ask its, its customers to consider giving tip to this restaurant and many other restaurant workers in the city. And they did. They were able to give like 100 bucks to every one of those employees that came in just by the crowdsourcing that went on through Venmo. Very cool. Very cool. Or perhaps you heard the devastating story this week. The funeral was this afternoon over at the Brentwood campus of the, the young man, nine years old, who died in the devastating sledding accident this week. Well, so many people in our church and around um, our church, our larger church, uh, raised thousands of dollars for the family, not to have to be encumbered by that part of this as they grieve such a, such a terrible occurrence. Pray for the Martin family. Or our story from last week, the Good Samaritan. We didn't get to meet, but we still looked at that story together from Luke 10. And the Good Samaritan took wine to the man beaten, gave it to him as medicine, uh, oil to use as ointment for his bruises, paid for his lodging, and then gave even extra money for anything else that might pop up. Or how about one of my favorite examples of money in Luke, which Luke, by the way, his gospel is fraught. Chock full of stories about money. It's one of the major themes in Luke. But in Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus uh, has a traveling companion by the name of Joanna. It's one of the people that is in Jesus' traveling party. And Joanna, we know as the wife of Hutza, who is the treasurer for King Herod. King Herod, whose predecessor was so uh, scared of this story of the Messiah who was born, to be king of the Jews that tried to have Jesus killed and every other toddler around. King Herod, who we believe is to be the richest ruler that's ever lived on earth at any time. Well, his treasurer, the wife of his treasurer, was traveling with Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. So that means, likely, that King Herod's coffers were financing Jesus' ministry. I love that. You talk about something broken becoming beautiful. So yes, even though fear and anxiety can can cause us to covet having enough, or in a worse sense, having more than everyone else has. The alternative to that is when we focus on being generous, when we focus on our resources not being our own, but but being God's because God has created everything and God owns everything, then our stuff, it becomes available to others, those who need it, when they need it. And that's what a church family looks like 
at its best. I think about our family having such loving parents who live locally, who are able to, to help us when our AC or our plumbing goes out. I, I think, what, if, what do folks do who don't have local parents? Well, if they're not part of a church, I'm not sure what they do. They really would be on an island. But that's when we are at our best. That's where the church comes in. That's where our groups and, and our care ministry kicks into gear. But, y'all, we have to be there for one another in such circumstances. We have to be there for one another in our time of need. That is one of the primary responsibilities of the church. Our, our MO cannot ever be building bigger barns to store our abundance in. We've got to be generous with that abundance. The farmer in Jesus' story was much more interested in his own comfort than those around him. There's an old story of a woman who dreamed that she died. And in her dream, she got to visit both heaven and hell. And, and the, the interesting part of this story is that everybody in the afterlife had one thing in common. Their elbows could not hinge. So their arms were stuck out like this. Everybody. And the picture she saw in hell was extreme frustration. Everybody had enough bread. They had it in both hands, but they couldn't bend their elbows. And so they were just walking around mad as wet hens, whatever that means. But that's what my grandmother used to say. So frustrated. Well, the same thing was true in heaven. Everybody had straight arms and bread in their hands, but they were happy and they were full. Why? Because they figured out they could feed each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, pastor, once said, the church is not a religious community of worshipers as much as it is Christ himself who has taken form among people. And every day we have the chance to live this out and help others know that they are truly never alone. We talk a lot about discipleship, and I'm glad that we do. We talk a lot about following and being formed by Jesus. We talk a lot about it being a journey and that we're all on different parts of that journey, but that we're traveling together. And as we're on this journey, revelation does come to us in different forms, in different ways, at different times. It's, it's, it's just that we don't know how it's going to come, and we must be patient with one another. We're at different places in our journey. <laughs> this, I realize this for me. I mean, I was already a pastor, and I was still learning the deep truths in this particular story. The revelation came to me five years ago as I stood in Haiti, I'd been able to be a part of uh, a school community that was being formed there three years even before that, so eight years ago, and had made several trips down there and gotten to be a part of what was going on with the school that is now called the Joseph School there. And five years ago, it was just opening, and I joined a small team to go down and help with the school in its first days, get ready for its first days. And one of the jobs that we did while we were there that week, was building a home 
for Charlie, who was part of the first class for the Joseph School. Charlie was an exceptional young man. He was six years old at the time. He had tested into the school, but his home had collapsed. It was not livable any longer. And he had a sister and a younger brother, toddler at the time, and his mother. That's who was in his household. And so we built Charlie a new home. You could do so at the time for $5,000. A home that is uh, very small by our standards, palatial by Charlie's. And the money for it, well, we raised that very easily in the church that I used to serve in. All we had to do was ask. So Charlie's a sixth grader now. Let me tell you what's happened in the last five years since Charlie began school, since the Joseph School was inaugurated. Charlie's mother, first of all, was inspired by Charlie and his studies, and she went back to school. You see, most folks in Haiti don't get past the third grade. His mother had not. Well, she enrolled in night school in Port-au-Prince and is working toward her high school degree. Second thing that happened, I mentioned Charlie had a little brother. Well, the little brother was, I don't know, two years old at the time. I remember holding him outside of his dilapidated house when we were there. And Charlie knew that his little brother would have to test into the school like Charlie was able to. And Charlie really wanted to go to school with his little brother. So Charlie came home from school every day for the last five years. And he would teach his younger brother what he learned in school that day. Every day. I received a picture recently of Charlie walking to school, the very road that I walked up to the house that we built for Charlie with his younger brother, who is now a first grader in his first year at the Joseph School. <laughs> it's just a house, but it was so much more than that for Charlie and his family. And in my opinion, y'all, that's a bigger barn worth building. It's changed a family. For generations. And also, in my opinion, that's a much better story about two brothers than two brothers fighting over their inheritance. If we build bigger barns for ourselves and we put everything that we accumulate in this earth in them, well, Jesus asks, whose things will those ultimately be? But if we're rich toward God, if we're rich toward God, well, it's in those places that the kingdom is coming. That's where I want to be. Don't you? Let's pray.